had been that God was pointing me in that direction. And yet I still had this thing where I didn't really trust God to take care of me if I took that leap of faith and moved to the revolution team. So I asked him to prove it. And I said, God, if, if, if we can make this work for my family, if we can figure out the financial pieces of this and the time commitment pieces of this, then we'll do it. A poor career choice. He goes into ministry to get rich, or if they do, they've made a really poor career choice or gotten some bad advice somewhere along the way. And on top of that, taxes and other things like that for clergy people are really complicated. It's more complicated than regular W-2 jobs. And on top of that, I'm moving from a multinational conglomerate with 550,000 employees and amazing health care and amazing benefits to a little tiny two-year-old church with two staff. What was going to happen when my kids got sick? How was that going to be dealt with? It felt really cynical to lay out that hurdle for God, um, but I want to be honest with you about that's what actually happened. Eventually, we, uh, I got in touch with a project manager who helped Stadia get started, and we spent a long time on the phone. In the con I was in the conference room at uh, Johns Hopkins, where my office was at the time. And about a month and a half after Josh asked me to join the team, I finally said I would. And I was ordained a couple months later uh, in September of 2013. I want to tell you about another person in the Bible who also had a little bit of imposter syndrome. His name's Gideon. And we meet him in the book of Judges. So Judges is this book uh, in the Old Testament before the Israelites had kings. Um, they would do things. They would drift away from God and further and further away from God. And then eventually they would find their situation unbearable. And they would remember God, surprisingly. And God, in his grace, would help them overcome the hardships that they'd found themselves in generally of their own making. And the people that led those efforts to um, bring them out of their hardships we called judges. In fact, last week Ivy preached uh, about Deborah, who is another one of the judges like Gideon. We meet him in the sixth chapter of the book of Judges. And uh, at that point, the Israelites, the God's people, had been impoverished because surrounding nations had kept in invading them over and over and over again. In fact, anytime they tried to create cro new crops, these other nations would come in and take them. So they would, they would take care of their crops in secret. And that's where we meet uh, Gideon. Gideon was threshing wheat, but he was doing it in a wine press, not somewhere you would normally find someone threshing wheat. And an angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I find that kind of an intense greeting. He's just a person, you know, threshing wheat. I don't know what it takes to thresh wheat, you know, taking the, making it into the situation where you can actually make it into bread. This is like someone coming into your kitchen when you're getting ready for dinner and saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. It's a bizarre entry. And Gideon, his response is, um, if the Lord's with us, why have we been abandoned to the hands of the Midianites? Where's all these wonders and 
that our ancestors told us about. It almost feels sarcastic, and if you keep reading, you find out maybe it is a little bit because Gideon doesn't actually realize he's speaking to an angel of the Lord or the Lord. God doesn't answer Gideon's questions about why they've been abandoned into the hands of the Midianites and where are the wonders that their ancestors told them about, but instead he instructs Gideon to go and to save Israel from the Midianites. And Gideon says, me? My clan is the weakest, and I'm the least in my family. He starts to feel that imposter syndrome. Who, me? And then God tells Gideon, well, I will be with you. I think at this point, Gideon starts to realize, like, okay, this guy showed up randomly while I'm threshing wheat and called me a mighty warrior and gives me these bizarre instructions to uh, save the Israelites from the Midianites. And he starts to maybe think, okay, maybe I am talking to something divine, some to God here. So he asks God for a sign that it's actually God and God obliges. And Gideon, now understanding that he is actually speaking to God and he believes that God sees in him this leadership and apparently mightiness. He goes and he gets rid of some symbols of worship that his family had for other gods, and he sets up an altar to the Lord. And now he knows that this is God talking to them, but he's still not sure about this whole striking down the Midianites. And after, Because after all, he's the least in his clan, and his clan is the least among those people. And the Midianite army is big and very strong. And that's where we're going to pick up the story a little bit. Um, it'll be up here. But if you want to look in a Bible or your app, uh, the, it's in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verse 36 is where we're going to start. And Gideon says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Gideon was impressed. A bowl full of water. But he also still had some uncertainty. You know, he's thinking like, uh, maybe this was just a weird circumstance of the weather. After all, if the whole ground had been wet, wouldn't the fleece still be wet even if the ground evaporated first? So he goes back to God and he says, starting in verse 39, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. fleece. But this time, make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. And that night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry, and all the ground was covered with dew. So now all uh, God has brought about some meteorological uh, differences from night to night to prove uh, that he will be with Gideon in this effort to engage the Midianites and, and to uh, de defeat the Midianites and push them out of the land that God has given to his people. And if we go on in the story, the quick overview is that Gideon does do that. He goes down and he uh, defeats the Midianites. 
I hope that we get into this story again and Gideon's one we can revisit in a future stories we tell us because there's some great uh, information in there about the right and wrong ways to drink water out of a river. Um, you'll have to read that on yourself by yourself. There's a great uh, bit about how to defeat an army with trumpets, jars, and torches. Um, not the normal expected ways, but that's for a future series. It is worth noting, though, when we get to that, when he goes down and he's going down to defeat the Midianites and the, the other nations that had invaded his people, that he does ask God again for another proof that God will be with him, bringing Gideon's asking God for a sign score up to four. So four times in two chapters, he's asking God for a sign. If you've been in the church for a little bit, you might have heard people talk about laying a fleece, laying out a fleece. It's kind of a Christianese term that people use. Typically, it goes something like, hey, God, um, if you really want me to buy this car, then I'm going to receive an unexpected $500 or something like that. Or if you really want me to date this person, then I'm going to unexpectedly run into them in a grocery store that we don't normally shop at. The church start, has started to talk about laying a fleece as this metaphor, kind of like a divining rod for trying to determine the will of God. But that's not at all what happened in Gideon's story. He didn't use the fleece as a divining rod. Uh, instead, he knew that the will of what the will of God was. God had made it very clear to him. In, cha in uh, chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian. Midian's hands. Laying a fleece in Gideon's case wasn't about trying to determine the will of God. He was questioning the character of God and struggling to believe in his own value as it was presented by God. Gideon was saying, I don't know, God. I know you said something about me being a mighty warrior, but I don't see it. He was saying, God, are you sure you're going to be there if I go down into this valley and try to defeat this humongous army? He knew what God was calling him to do. What he struggled with was his own self-image and his own imposter syndrome and his own fear. So laying out a fleece isn't about trying to determine the will of God. It's about our own trust in the will of God. Well, see, what Gideon wanted was reassurance. He needed a shot in the arm. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible happens in Mark 9. A dad uh, has a son who's mute and afflicted by seizures. And he comes to Jesus, and he believes Jesus can heal his son, but he's got a little bit of fear that maybe Jesus won't do it or can't do it. It's like he doesn't want to get his hopes up too much, believing that uh, his son can be healed from this affliction that's thrown him into fires and caused all kinds of other strife for his family. And the father says to Jesus in Mark 9, he says, Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus replies, almost sarcastically himself, if you can, everything is possible for those who believe. For, who, for one who believes. And the father who wants so badly for his son to be healed and just wants badly to absolutely trust Jesus 
to heal his son, he says this incredible line, one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible. I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. I do believe. Help me to overcome my unbelief. And that's kind of what Gideon's saying. He's saying, Lord, I do believe that I'm a mighty warrior. Help me to overcome my unbelief. You can even hear the conflict when he says in the second fleece test, God, don't be angry. But I need another reassurance. Before I joined the revolution team, I spent a month asking, God, I believe that I'm called to be a pastor in this church. Help me to overcome my unbelief. I wasn't asking if God could help me. I was asking for reassurance that he would help me. When I was researching for the sermon a couple weeks ago, I read a whole lot of other sermons on Gideon. um, And multiple of them talk about laying out a fleece and the actions that Gideon takes and his uh, trying to determine his role in defeating the Midianites as a sign of immature faith. And that kind of hurt a little bit. But maybe it's true. Maybe maybe Gideon should have just trusted God. Uh, maybe the father in Mark 9 should have just had faith that Jesus would heal his son. Maybe I should have just had faith that God would be with me and care for me in moving to be working for revolution. I know now uh, that God would, that was going to meet me in that calling. Maybe I should have just had faith then too. But that's not how it works usually, right? We all have doubts. Anyone sitting here that doesn't have doubts probably has a problem. We've all gotten our hopes up at some point, had them dashed, uh, and then that leads to skepticism when future events happen in our lives. And lots of us, because of that, have also struggled with imposter syndrome. People have said we can do things that we don't believe in ourselves that we can do. And you know what? God gets that. Why else would this story even be in the Bible? Gideon could have just acted. God could have said, go down into the valley and destroy the Midianites. And he could have left his wine press where he was threshing wheat and said, okay, let's do it. But that's not what happens. He was insecure and he asked for reassurance. And guess what? Gideon's name still appears in Hebrews 11, which a lot of Christians call the Faith Hall of Fame. If Gideon, after his four times asking for signs and reassurance, makes it into the Hall of Fame, then what about us? What about our doubts and our insecurities and our imposter syndrome? God's about grace. He's about giving love and mercy even when it might not be deserved. So God graciously alleviates Gideon's doubts by modifying the way that water evaporates two nights in a row. He graciously drives out the demons causing mutinous and seizures in the sun in Mark 9. Uh, Right after his own resurrection, uh, when he comes back and visits his disciples, he encounters a disciple, Thomas, who's having a hard time believing that this is actually Jesus who's returned. And instead of 
belittling Jesus or belittling Thomas or humiliating Thomas for his lack of faith, Jesus pauses and allows Thomas to feel his hands and feel his side. He takes the time and shows the grace to reassure Thomas that he did and would fulfill the promises that he made. And back when I was wrestling with the call to ministry, God and Josh and some other of my friends were patient with me when I took a month and a half to consider working for Revolution and laid out fleeces before God. The thing I want to take you to take away from this message, if anything else, is that God is patient in our faith process. Some of the people in this room have been following Jesus for a long time. I know many of you, not everybody. Some of you have even worked in ministry, helping others to find uh, relationships with Jesus. Some of you don't believe in Jesus at all. You're here because a friend or family member compelled you to come here, or uh, you're trying to figure out something in your own life, and church seems to be a place to try to figure things out. And wherever you are on that spectrum, my hope is that your faith is in process. That's not just stagnant. And if you are feeling stagnant, I hope that you take an opportunity to learn from Gideon and ask questions. When revolution started in 2010, one of the things that we would often say is revolution is a safe place to ask hard questions. And it's not just revolution. God's a safe place to ask hard questions. So what are the questions that you have? Or more importantly, maybe what are some questions you've been avoiding asking because you're afraid what the answers might be to them? I want to encourage you to ask them. Then look around and see the ways that God might be trying to answer them for you. And if you need to lay a fleece out for reassurance for that shot in the arm, God understands that, and he's patient. He's not afraid of your questions. Whether you move, move forward purely on faith, there's lots of stories of that in the Bible as well, people who see the angel and go and do it. Or if you're like Gideon or me, and you need reassurance from uh, laying a fleece, or even if you're just taking a hopeful gamble, stepping off the ledge, I hope that you lean hard into that and know that God, he's going to help you figure it out. And he's going to be patient with your process of getting to that point. I ended up working for Revolution for about two years. Um, and after about two years, I was asked to join the team of Stadia Church Planting, where I still work now. And we're helping thousands of people try to start churches all over the world. And I'm still regularly in places where I feel imposter syndrome just came back from South Carolina. I was there Tuesday through Friday in a series of meetings, regularly asking myself, how did I get here? Why am I here? Why me? Why do I deserve to be in this place? And I wrote multiple times in my notebook that I carry everywhere with me. I hesitate to call it a journal because it's full of very random things, not anything intentional. But the notebook I carry around 
multiple pages over the last week say, God, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And he does. Let me pray. Father, um, I thank you for your grace and your patience with the process of learning who you are and trusting you and following you. God, I pray that uh, you would move in this room, in me and in others in this room, God, to open our eyes to the ways that you're calling us and the ways that you're moving in our lives, Father, and help us to see the ways that you are confirming and reaffirming and reaffirming our faith. God, I thank you for Jesus and the symbol of grace and the ultimate gift that he's been and is. And we love you. We pray in Jesus' name.